0: To each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine.
1: You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to Winefabet Street where the letter of the day is O and it stands for Orange Muscat. Although the origins of Orange Muscat are not guaranteed, it is thought to be from Italy or France. It was once popular, but today is not widely planted. For this episode, we went directly to the source. When you Google Orange Muscat, Quaddy Winery is number one on the display. Andrew Quaddy purchased a plot of land in Reedley, California in 1980 and is the authority on the variety. Listen in as we discuss his road to winemaking not the typical one how he fell in love with the grief and how the wine is made i promise it's a fun one if you listen to a lot of podcasts you know that many ask for patreon we do not plan on doing this but we do ask you to support the podcast by leaving a review it takes only a few seconds of your time but means so much to the show the next best way to support exploring the wine glass is to tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast your wine loving friends will too Finally, don't forget to head over to the website, ExploringTheWineGlass.com, to read the blog, sign up for the newsletter, and keep up on all happenings. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Day service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET Level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass.
0: Hey,
1: that was a long one. That was That was more than 15 seconds. Welcome, 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 everybody to Wine for Bed Street, where the letter of the day is O, and we are going to be talking orange muscat. And we have a very special guest with us today, Andrew Quadi, and from Quadi Winery. And uh, we are excited to be learning about this. Deb and I are actually on in the same uh, time zone, although not together. (laughs) We one (laughs) of these days we're gonna do that. Uh, so we are not. Uh, we are in the same time zone. Andrew is um, over on the west coast, and uh, we are excited to have him here. So, hi, Andrew.
2: Hello, Hello everybody. everybody.
1: Hi. So today we are talking about orange muscat, um, and it is it is a grape that I've had once or twice. I'm not very experienced in it, so I am thrilled to have Andrew here to uh, guide us through the education aspect of this group. And uh, for those of you who do not know me, I am Lori. I am a uh, WSET Level 2 Spanish Wine Scholar, Champagne Specialist, Cote de Specialist on Service, and wine uh, winemaker in Paso and a uh, little plug for Dracita wines. We just got named to um, top 30 wines in Paso for the 21 vintage uh, top uh, Rosé wines in Paso and our Cinnabari got top Bordeaux blends in Paso. Nice. So it's been a pretty good,
0: uh, it's been a pretty good run for us in this last couple of weeks. So Deb, I'm Debbie Giaquindo, I'm known as a Hudson Valley wine goddess. I'm a wine writer, uh, a wine blogger, um, a certified specialist of wine, wine uh, location specialist in Port and Champaign, and a certified sherry wine specialist. <laughs> um, I'm author of a book called Tapping Hudson Val- the Hudson Valley Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries Visiting the Hudson Valley uh, Wine Region. And um, I'm co-partner um, in a restaurant in North Wildwood, New Jersey, called Trio North Wildwood. And we are open through New Year's Eve. And then we close down for three months. And I get to do some R&R and hopefully some travel. And maybe coming out to see you, Patty. And uh, <laughs> and then we open up again in March. And Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, um my wife and I, we have a winery here in Madera, California, close to Fresno, and we started this back in 76. Uh, 77 was our first vintage here. I was—I uh, have a background in engineering, and I was working uh, also at the big winery next door to me, uh, which is Constellation Brands. Uh, before that, I worked for a winery in Lodi, and before that, I was uh, going to school at UC Davis. I got a uh, my master's degree there in food science, specializing in uh, wine. And uh, but my education before that was in chemical engineering, and so I escaped from that into wine in the early '70s. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's great. And I we ended up uh, in in uh, Madeira, when i changed jobs from the lodi winery to come to work here uh and we had a uh, we put up a winery behind our house a little baby winery and made wine there on evenings and weekends uh when i wasn't when i had some spare time from the other job so um at one point we uh were introduced to this grape variety that that most people had never heard of before called orange muscat actually when I was a student at Davis uh, in um, all the uh, all the students in the course one of the courses I was taking had to make a a wine out of orange muscat because the UC had a a very small uh, I think maybe a dozen of these uh, orange muscat grapevines and so there was we had more than that but in any case there was enough for people to make a a little wine uh, as a as an experiment. And uh, I don't believe that anybody was very uh, excited about it,
1: uh, <laughs> what, what they
2: made from the UC Davis uh, vineyard that year. But in any case, we I was making uh, California port in my little backyard winery. And uh, the wine, the local uh, viticulture expert, um, uh, the uh you know, he worked for the uh, state of California, agricultural uh, attache or something like that. He, he has said, uh, he, he met me one day and he wanted to let me know that a couple of farmers from Kerman, a little town near us, had purchased a vineyard, a very large vineyard, uh, 2,000 acres. And in the middle of this vineyard, there would, had been a plot of grapes that they didn't know what it was. And they and they called this agricultural extensionist uh, grape person over to figure out what it was. And he determined it was this grape called Orange Muscat. And he wanted to tell me about it because I was making my I had my port business going. And and he thought, well, maybe I'd like to do a sweet white wine, you see, because a muscat was a white grape. And this was a white grape. And so uh, we did we. We experimented with this variety, and um, a few years later, we came out with a wine called Ascencia, which uh, became a big hit. And uh, actually, it became such a big hit that I was able to leave my day job and just, uh, well, actually, Laurel, my wife, I have to give her credit. We could live off what she made. We, so the <laughs> little uh, winery that we had going was sort of a hobby, but we built it into a business over the years. And, uh, and the Essencia had a lot to do with that. It was um, it was a grape that you can, once you tasted the grape, and especially if you tasted the wines, if they had some skin contact, uh, they actually picked up an orangey color. Even though the skins were green, the wine would come out orange, slight orangey, yellowy, very attractive, sort of golden look to it and the wine would smell like a mixture of oranges and apricots uh this was sort of special because nobody in california uh was doing anything with with the variety then and i was the first and uh we uh we were the wine i showed it to a friend of mine who had a restaurant he was a he was a a chef in los angeles he owned a restaurant and he was a friend of mine and we were both fans of port. So I showed him my new wine and he got very excited about it. He was also an artist in his spare time from being a, a chef and he created the label, which, uh, which Patty was showing it up, up on the bottle a few minutes ago uh, with a lot of orange on it, because he thought with a name like that, he had to put a lot of orange on the label. So that's where the label came from. And it sort of Debbie, shows- you want
1: to just show that again?
2: Yeah, Debbie. Shows, you want to yeah. show that again? Yeah, it shows. Uh, isn't
1: that neat? It's a beautiful so he, label.
2: It was a, like a, you know, one of those type of an artist that likes to throw the paint on the canvas and and uh, create something interesting. And that's he was that kind of an artist, and he, that's what he did. So, uh, yeah. So that's where we got started.
1: That's great. All right, and I. I'm like, we have to have a conversation off camera about the food science thing. I got to get Mike up there and we got to visit you in person so we can all geek out on food science. Um, Because that small world food science, you don't hear that all the time. Um, So we are going to (laughs) we're going to get into the conversation. But first, it's Elmo time.
2: unusual well first of all the whole family of muscat grapes is fascinating. For one thing uh, it was f- fairly recent that uh, people became aware of the fact that there's more than one grape called uh, that's a muscat grape. there are different uh, very distinctive differences between the different varieties of muscat but when you go to a winery that makes in Europe especially, when you go to a winery that has a muscat wine and you ask them what kind of grape it's made from, it's called muscat. That's what they say. So in Italy, they say it's muscat, but they're using the wow. mus- muscat, muscato bianco, right? If you go to Spain and you say, what grape are you using for your muscat? And they say, it's the muscat. But their muscat is called the muscat of Alexandria. And uh, I believe in. Uh,
0: are they the same think- grapes?
2: No, these are different yep. varieties. See, except that uh, they and they do have the local name is oftentimes muscat, right? But the correct name is has a has a, a another word attached to it, like uh, Moscato Bianco. See, and okay. the orange muscat it turns out came from Italy, and it came from a little tiny part of Italy called the Colli Euganei, which is halfway between Venice and Verona. And people that don't come from there or live there are always amazed when they say that there's another grape in Italy besides the Moscato Bianco. And there's this Moscato d'Arancio is what they call it there. And they use it to make a bubbly sweet uh, wine which is served with weddings. And a lot of people go oh, to Donnie yeah. okay. to have their weddings there. And when they do, they, it's a very pretty area and they have this wine with it, so,
1: so. Deb, oh, I'm sorry. Can you just hold the bottle up for another second? Sure. So, let it get into focus. Is is it my eyes, or are, is that spelt with a K?
2: Oh, it's spelled with uh, Essentia, M- the name, <clears throat> it's a fancy name. M-U-S-C-A,
1: no, it says C-A-T. Okay, it's just my eyes. OK. Muscat. <laughs> OK. M-U-S-C-A-T. right? right. Uh, no. OK. OK. I thought it was a different spelling that I might see I should be wearing glasses. OK. Hey guys, sorry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So, to, so Andrew, to go back, you're talking about just to, to bring it back because I took you offline. You're talking about the different type, the different muscats that are out there. And although they're all called muscats, they're different varieties.
2: Yeah, they're different grape varieties, right? They're the, fam- the muscat is a family of grapes. So at our winery, we grow three uh, muscat grape varieties <clears throat> with the orange muscat. Uh, there's a variety called the muscat humburg, which has a black skin. And it's, it's a really, really delicious grape. Uh, it's Oftentimes in Europe, it's grown as a table fruit. They just eat it by the, you know and by the grapes, they don't make wine out of it, but we make wine out of it, a red wine with a sort of a rose-like aroma to it. And then, so there's that one, the orange muscat, and then the third one we make is the, uh, what in California is known as Muscat Canelli, but that's the same as the Italian one, the muscato Bianco. Oh, right. The one that is most widely planted in California is the Muscat of Alexandria. Which is the one that came here from Spain? So we so that, don't use that one much.
0: So, what is the Muscat that's in here? What what Muscat variety? That's the
2: Orange it? Muscat. It's about it's over seventy five percent Orange Muscat, and there's a little bit of the Muscat Canelli uh, or the Moscato Bianco in there as well. So,
0: how does each of the Muscat grapes differ?
2: Well. Uh, the orange muscat is the only one that has this orange flavor, okay. sort of an orange apricot, okay? Mm-hmm. The muscat Hamburg is the only one that smells like roses. And the Moscato bianco, in our region of the world, it starts to t- smell like peaches. So they're all unique. And they're all sort of have a floral characteristic, uh, flowers and fruit. And that is the reason why... Most places, uh, winemakers make these into sweet wines. So, are so,
1: these are these actual individual varieties, or are these clone are these clones or subspecies? So, are-
2: um, they're they're called varieties. You know. Um, okay, so the, they're the, they're the, distinct the, enough. Yeah, the 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 species of grapes that we use is called Vetus vinifera. And Venus vinifera is the is the uh, species, and then uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, uh, you know, Orange Muscat, Muscat Canelli, whatever. Those are varieties.
1: So they are distinct enough. They're not they're not clones of each other.
2: No, you know, there are okay. a lot of there's a like if you talk about Chardonnay, you have five clones of Chardonnay or something like right. that. But, <clears throat> these are varieties
1: oh okay yeah. okay
2: to, to uh to get the same plant though if you're if you want to put up in a whole vineyard you have to use cuttings right you can't because if you plant a grape seed you never know what you're going to get exactly like You can have, look, plant all the grape seeds of cabernet sauvignon you want and you won't get one plant that's Cabernet Sauvignon. Right,
1: right. I try to explain that in a tasting room to people like, well, can I just take this seed and, you know, plant it? Like, well, you could, but...
2: So grapevines, it turns out, have um, some of the most complex apparently genetics of any plant. And uh, see that there's a lot of plants that the seed comes out exactly like the parent, not in grapes. Everyone is a unique individual. It's more like human humans or something like that. So it's sort of not that common in the plant world, but uh, that's the way it is.
0: So I, I have a question. This is what the wine looks like in the glass. When you press it, does it come out this color or does it sit on the skins at all?
2: Um, it, what happens when you press it is it's, it, the grapes are green when you pick them. They're not yellow like that. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, the uh, apparently uh, the oxygen in the air does something to the phenolics that are in that grape that cause that uh, golden color to come up. So the uh, juice changes to that color. Uh, you don't buy that. Well, uh, what we do is we have some skin contact to get more of that orange flavor in the wine before we press the grapes so we give them like a day or two of skin contact. And uh, then the wine gets yellower and yellower by the time we get it. We, we give it some age in French oak barrels. And then by the time it comes out of the barrels, it's uh, pretty yellow, nice golden looking. So
1: we, we want to dive deeper into um, orange muscat, but we want to learn a little bit more about you first. So, as we were hunting around the web, uh, it actually said you used to produce explosives. So, like, did you make like TNT? Was it fireworks? Like, well, I've never known anybody who actually makes explosives. So it's kind of cool.
2: It, the the, uh, the fireworks business uh, really did drive me to drink. and uh, <laughs> I wanted to get out of that. I was in uh, this unusual category of fireworks called military pyrotechnics, and we made uh, decoys for heat-seeking missiles. Um, I developed an underwater flare, um, some parachute uh, flares that uh, you would shoot up a mortar into the air, and a parachute would open up, and the the flare would hang from the chute and uh, put out this, you know, infrared radiation that would attract uh, the heat-seeking missiles. Um, we also had uh, mortars that uh, would have a little rocket attached to them, so you could shoot the mortar up in the sky and the rocket would start and it propel the mortar shell higher than uh, normally would. And then it would explode and the parachute would come out with a flare. So, and we made, the other product we made was uh, a kind of a firecracker that, that um, fishermen used uh, to it would able throw them in the water to chase the seals away from their nets. And they were called seal controls.
0: Wow, so,
2: wow. Uh, but I didn't like that business. It was too dangerous. Ooh, and I, besides was, that, I, I wanted to it. do something that uh, made people happy. Instead of uh, you know war stuff, so I yeah. that and and <clears throat> went back to school.
0: And you decided I, on wine.
2: <laughs> I decided yeah. on wine. I wanted to be a winemaker. I thought that, but I have a little background in chemistry, and so um, yeah, I just wanted to get in the wine business. And so I uh, got into the uh, master's degree program at UC Davis. Okay.
1: So you were and like Tony fun. Stark. Pardon? You were Tony Stark. You are Tony Stark of Iron Man making, making explosives.
2: Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that much of it in a long time. <laughs> my but, God, yeah. that,
1: that's impressive. That's impressive. Holy cow. <laughs> I know. Right.
0: <laughs> we don't we'll want to get, get back torn to our wine. We <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. We swear we'll get back yeah, to wine. Bad, but, I, I mean, my goodness.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got into it because I was putting my wife through schools and, uh, my father. What was she going was, to school for? Uh, I went to school for chemical engineering. See. No, your wife. Oh, I'm sorry. What? La- Laura. Your wife. What was became she? became an accountant, and that's okay. how she put put us all through. You know. Ah, okay. So, yeah, she was our source of income for our family for a while.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now we split the job.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good, go Deb. Um,
2: so what else could I tell you about? I, I think that we well, when you get into uh, these grape varieties and in their uniqueness, it's really interesting to wonder how these uh, how nature came up with these things, you know. Uh, and uh, when you think about it, there's really only one explanation: that the plant wants to be successful, right? So it could reproduce itself. And so evolution uh, would then select the individuals who are most successful in reproducing the plant. And that involves somebody having to eat the berries. Maybe it would be a bear or, or, an, or a human or whatever. Uh, and so the berries that tasted the most interesting to the, the, uh, the eater were the ones that we, that, that survived. And so they, you have, uh, you know, there, there's mutations and stuff over time and new things appear. And at some point uh, nature created this grape that tasted like oranges and apricots. And uh, it was in somewhere, maybe in this part of Italy, Colli Ugani, and they, people there uh, selected this grape from other grapes because they like the taste. And there we have it.
1: So there is, it seems to be that both Italy and France both claim that they're kind of the birthplace of it. But are th- are they the birthplace of two different varieties? Who, who do you... Who okay, do you think so, is the
2: birthplace? Well, I think it's pro- most likely that the orange muscat came from Italy. Okay. It's not really grown in France. So, but the but the Moscato Bianco is grown in France and it's called Muscat Blanc there. And so it's grown in both places. And it has a lot of big fans in both countries that make great wines from it. Um, and there's also a few growers in both countries that use the Muscat of Alexandria too.
1: Yes, that 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 seems to be more common in Italy. No, the Muscat di Alexandria.
2: Yeah, that you see it in southern Italy.
1: Southern in northern
2: Italy, it's very frowned upon. I yeah. frown upon it.
1: Isn't isn't that a there's a deal? Isn't the Moscato there? De Alexandria isn't there's a DOC that's specific to that grape variety in, in Southern Italy, so it's At it's kind so. of yeah right, it's it's revered it's called, there right.
2: It's called the is it called the zazebo? I think it's called the Zazibo or something like that in Southern Italy.
1: Okay. Okay. Um. I yeah. I just kind of in my the back of my brain, Debbie. I remember. I think you were with me. We were at a, in El Gato, the, the cat, the thing in New York city that was the Moscato D-O-C-G, right? It's, it's a G. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how, how did you fall in love? I mean, was it just that it showed up there and you made it at UC Davis? So you're like, okay, I kind of know this grape, but you know, making wine, but becoming passionate about it are two completely different things.
2: In California, our wine industry uh, was created by immigrants from Italy who brought grapes uh, from their country here and that's that's the uh, you know all, all there's just a uh, really very few French guys came most of them are Italy Italian and so somebody must have brought this orange muscat here but the the immigrants didn't know uh usually the, the grapes are so, so local, see, that they didn't realize that they had a certain name and they would just call it the Muscat, right? And, uh, but when uh, it turned out that this, the Muscat that somebody brought here tasted a lot different from the Muscats that other people brought, the guy that, this, they, they came up with this name of Orange Muscat. And so they, the one that was orangey tasting caught that name, the other ones were just called um well they were called muscat Canelli, maybe because somebody came from Canelli, a part of the uh the area in um uh, in asti area where um
1: that's it asti that's it that's yeah. it. that's the d-o-c-g that's oh, it. that's what you were looking for <laughs> yes <laughs> yes
2: so asti is in italy right and we got it asti in california and of course it's Italians all over the place, doing their and all of them are making wine and and calling the grape whatever it was called where they came from. So somebody must have come from Canelli. <laughs> That's <laughs> why we call it Muscat Canelli here. So, uh, but the guy from Orange, from who came from uh, the Colli uh he didn't know what to call his Muscat. But when people tasted it, they said it tasted like orange. So it got this name, Orange Muscat. Yet, it was only about, I'd say about 10 or 15 years ago when uh, when these grape genetic, genetic experts, or people who could understand or compare the DNA in different plants to see if it was similar, uh, they figured out that this was the same grape as the one growing in the Ugani. Um, Isn't that neat? And, uh, and they'd right. already decided to call it orange muscat. And in, and in Italy, it's called the Moscato Fior d'Arancio, muscat okay. of the orange blossom.
0: So do we know the DNA of, of the orange muscat?
2: Well, somebody must have, because okay. they comp- determined it was the same as the one in Italy, see? Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. So this is my first experience with orange muscat. So what can I expect when I when I take a sip of it? I mean, I've already taken a sip, but for people that don't have the wine, um, what can they expect? And is it always made as a dessert wine? Can it be made dry? Can it make me be made sparkling?
2: It doesn't make a very... Well, in, in Kola Ugani, they do make it a sparkling uh, sweet uh, wine. <clears throat> That's for the weddings. Um, I don't... Think it makes a very good dry wine because this variety has a very high tannin level. In fact, uh, there was an article I can't remember where I saw this. It was some years ago, but um, it was an, Ita- an Italian um, chemistry person determined that this the orange muscat grape, or the, what they call the Moscato d'Arancio, has the highest tannin, of phenolic compound of any white grape. And oh. it's actually even higher in, in phenolics than many red grapes. It, so if you want to make it into a, a dry wine without sweetness, you're going to be stuck with some bitterness that you may not enjoy. And uh, it, but in the, um, you know, is this, these phenolics also result in this orange color uh, do you you might be able to pick up in your tasting, you might be pick a, able to pick up a certain texture or maybe even a little bit of bitterness in there that's coming from this grape. Very unusual. To a, l- a little
0: bit, yeah. just a little bit. It's it's um, smooth. It's um, very orangey. It's actually it's a nice it's a nice dessert wine. It's very. Um, what's what's the alcohol on it?
2: We make it at fifteen.
1: Fifteen. Uh, yeah. Okay. And
2: it's a. In. I learned. Uh, yeah. I learned about this when I was studying uh, viticulture and analogy at Davis. Um, there's a. If you get. Uh, if the wine has a certain amount of alcohol and also a certain level of sweetness, the osmotic pressure uh, on the Yeast is such that the yeast can't live. So you can make a sweet wine. If you have enough alcohol in combination with the sugar that uh, you can then have a sweet wine that won't ferment. Well, you don't have to worry about it fermenting. see. So you can age it in French oak or something like they do Sautern. So sauterne is the same thing. But if let's say this wine had only five. But no
1: botrytis. But no.
2: It has You're, it has no botrytis. No. okay okay Botrytis is a another way of making sweet wines also right but the way and this wine it, uh, the method that we'd use is just by uh, after it's fermented a little bit, uh, we adjust the alcohol up to 15 percent by adding wine, wine spirit and that's have oh. you ever heard of the Muscat Boume de Venise? Anybody? Mm. anybody? I have not that? no. Well, yeah. the bones de Venise is also made for, what the the same way. They use the Mus- Muscat Blanc, and they add the alcohol and bring it up to fifteen percent. And it's it's a delicious wine. It it's sort of reminds you of peaches, and it's uh, very. Uh, <clears throat> it's available in that part of part of the southern Rhone region. Uh, is where this they grow a lot of these muscats and they make this benise and my wife and i we were there uh after I graduated we did a little trip to Europe to europe and and uh, looking for interesting things and in that part of uh, France we discovered this a uh, wine being served at a restaurant where it was a company it was a little uh well like one of those places where they give you a Three courses for lunch, the prefix okay. lunch. Okay. And and with the dessert, you got a glass of this wine. And it and they had a little cake that it went with it, and the wine tasted smelled and like peaches and stuff. And it was just wonderful. What a really a gastronomic experience. And so that was part of my thinking when I did the Essentia wine. See, is that people would use it as a dessert accompaniment and they would be able to enjoy it at, in a gastronomic way and it did actually uh, acquire a lot of <clears throat> fans for that uh, that it got into a bunch of nice restaurants and
1: awesome. still in some- and now a word from our sponsor. Looking to be in the know about Dracaena Wines? Want to be the first to know about our new releases and special offers? All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. There is no commitment necessary, and I promise you we won't spam your mailbox with loads of messages. Need another reason to sign up? Quite possibly the best reason? You'll immediately get a discount code for 10% off your first purchase and be privy to newsletter-only discounts. Let Dracina Wines turn your moments into great memories. Visit our website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in show notes to sign up. It will take you less than a minute, but the rewards will last a lifetime. So, Andrew, we have I, a question. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you know
0: this person, but hi, Bob. I, I know As Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know Bob. Bob. And, um, Bob said he's been enjoying Quadi Muscat for over 25 years. I've always been impressed by the consistent quality year to year. Curious as to whether Andrew has specific years that were better than others in bottling the Muscat.
2: Well, Bob, uh, I I don't think that this is a very good Muscat to age. Um, It seems like You age it and it gets darker and darker. Eventually, after like about 10 years, it starts to look like tea or something. And it's because of all those phenolics in there that are sort of out of control. But yes, it does. And I'm not sure which years are better than others. But what you have to do is you have to get the grapes really ripe. And the grapes develop these uh, aroma characteristics and the flavor according to how ripe they get. See, so that if they're, we have a minimum maturity. We won't accept them unless they're at least uh, twenty-three uh, percent sugar on the vine. Oh, okay. So it's
0: got to be okay. twenty-three bricks before you. All right, that's not right. that's hiring. not out of control. So can you? So
1: I did a little research, and it it says that. It is thought that the parents of orange muscat is muscat blanc à uh, petit grains and chasselet. I don't know how to say that correctly, oh. but that sounds right.
2: Uh, um, chasselas, yeah, chasselas is one of the. Yeah, the parents are they. They figured that out, and that's it's, isn't that weird because chasselas is a is a Swiss variety, and it's very bland. It doesn't hardly taste like anything. And of course, the other parent is the muscat block. And so, how in the devil did crossing these two things make an orange taste? Who knows? Uh, but um, that's what these, I, I remember that also. And, yeah, so- and, and of course, so that sort of blows my theory that this was something that happened in nature and people discovered it because maybe. Maybe it well, was it a nurseryman or something. It
1: it didn't say it. It didn't say that it wasn't a natural cross. I assumed it was yeah. a natural cross.
2: I yeah. You know what? That's right. Who would think? Who would want to cross Chasselas with a right Muscat um, Blanc anyway? Yeah.
0: Like, so. Is that, um, what would Bob be the Andrew, purpose I want of to that? Tell you, uh, Bob just said that it does age a bit well. He had many bottles from the early two thousands and opened some of some this year a bit past its prime but it held together oh, there round. you go Very well.
2: thank you bob
0: So there Appreciate you go it. and i i've got a question so um i opened this bottle tonight and um how long will this keep in the fridge in you know before it will go um, south i
2: wouldn't worry about it actually i would say put it in the fridge and uh don't forget about it. Drink it because yeah. it tastes really good, and you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to share it with people and stuff. But no, they. Okay, I I think it could be in there for a month.
0: Okay. Oh, okay. That's good okay, to know. Yeah, the holidays are coming, so I'm I'm thinking there Christmas Christmas Eve. This will be a good yeah. dessert. Yeah. Yeah. Seems
2: like the low temperatures of the of the this of the refrigerator really slow down. Um, you know the any kind of oxida- oxidation reactions or anything like that. So, yeah. Okay.
0: And um, on the same lines, <clears throat> as I said, Christmas Eve, <clears throat> what would you pair with that would pair well with the orange muscat?
2: <clears throat> well, you have a lot of choices. Uh, sweet things, mm-hmm. uh, I would say a cake or something like that, That yeah, maybe an almond cake would be really good. Okay. Uh, The dessert should not be sweeter than the wine though. That's sort of a rule when you're working with sweet wines. Yeah. So Um, I'm making
0: a um, cranberry upside down cake for Christmas Eve. I think this is gonna taste nicely with it.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I I wanna go back to- Oh, Kevin says cheesecake. Yes, I can see cheesecake. Okay. Yep.
2: Cheesecake would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I want to go back to that you add grape spirit to it. So you're making it kind of in like a sherry style. So can you walk us through your, your heart from harvest to bottle, basically how you're, pro- how, what you said that you do 23 bricks, but mm-hmm. from there you, you bring it to the venue, you bring it to the winery. Are you, Are you pressing whole, are you pressing right off the bat? Oh, well, you said that you have it on skins for 24 to 48 hours, right? Skin contact for 48. And then you press it off and then take us from that step forward. How are you making this wine?
2: Okay. So what we'll do is after our, um, let's say a day and a half to two days of skin contact at a low temperature, we'll chill this, we'll, when the grapes come in, we run them through a heat exchanger as well as a crusher, stemmer, and uh, and bring the temperature down, okay. and uh, then it goes into a tank which is jacketed, which have cool. uh, glycol running through the jackets to try to bring the temperature down because we don't want it to take off and start fermenting, see? So mm-hmm. it's going to ferment a little bit anyway, but um, so and then... Um, Maybe we'll give it a few hours of skin contact after we've added the wine spirits. And then you press it. Uh, And uh, then at that point, uh, uh, if you maybe then have to adjust that alcohol up again to get her a little closer to 15, maybe it'll be like, get it up to about 13, 14, something like that. And then I put it in French oak uh, for about Mm -hmm. six, eight months and then it's bottled.
1: So wait, I, I might have missed something. Um, you're fer, you're fermenting it to dryness?
2: No, no, it's then... not dry. No, it's 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 maybe getting about at the most a couple percent alcohol. That's all, in fermentation, maybe four, three, four at the most. And then we add the alcohol. So
1: and then so you're you're stopping fermentation by temperature?
2: No, but the alcohol.
1: Oh, by adding Remember, the alcohol. I, okay,
2: okay, okay. Okay. There's a, there's a uh, you can look, you have to maybe look this up. It's sort of a winemaker. It's, it's, uh, it was an Italian scientist named Deli, and he figured that um, everybody knew that if you had a wine that was really, really sweet, like a sauterne, okay, it won't ferment. And that's because it's too sweet. And the yeast can't handle all that sweetness. It's too much osmotic pressure. But if the sugar got low enough, let's say uh, the sugar was, it was like five, six, 7% sugar, the yeast just go to town and they're gonna convert that wine into, they're gonna make alcohol out of it. Or, if it, or like if you have fresh grapes, grapes could be 23 bricks, right? 25 bricks without any alcohol they'll start to ferment and they'll ferment to dryness too, because the alcohol is going up, but at the same time, the sweetness is dropping. Now, if you take that 23% grape juice and you add enough alcohol so that the deli units, which is the combination of the alcohol times some number plus the sugar exceed a certain number. I think it's something like 80 or something like that. And, die off. Uh, then the yeast can't ferment it and you can make a wine without having to have super ripe grapes so like <clears throat> you know saturn is made from botrytis affected grapes and uh, what happens there is that the botrytis um, attacks the skin of the grape and and the grapes shrivel up and they lose all their moisture a lot of moisture and so when they crush them they get like 60 70 bricks and that's if they, right. they get that started they get that fermenting and what will happen is when the alcohol it gets somewhere around 12 to 14 12 to 13 percent or somewhere in that rate range it'll stick and yeah, because the yeast have too much alcohol and still so much sugar in there it'll stick and that's the same principle the principle of the deli units okay so that's the way that That wine is made. So all these sort of wines that were made in, um, without using sterile filtration were made uh, based on this principle of the deli units. So the uh, other way you can make sweet wines is you can just filter all the yeast out. You have to have a real careful, you know, a really careful, uh, um, filtration apparatus that has very fine pores and it right. takes a lot of filters a lot of filtration you have to maybe filter several times to get all those yeast out and then you bottle it under at
1: $125 dollars a filter
2: <laughs> yeah you bottle under sterile conditions and that's the way a lot of the German sweet wines are produced
1: so, so when you're saying bit- deli so I can I can look this up because I'm intrigued is it D like Delhi D E H L I or D E L
2: I? I think it's spelled D E L I D-E-L-I. D-E-L-I unit Delhi. Okay. It was named after a, a guy named Delhi who was an enology professor or something.
1: And so, when you're you're saying you're looking for the orange muscat to get to to twenty three bricks, so lots of time like different varieties as they go through different bricks levels, they're they're um, ripening at different levels for the different sugars. What would happen to that grape if you picked it at 21 or you picked it at like 25 or 26? Are those flavors that you're looking for going to change? Like Cabernet Franc, which we specialize in Cabernet Franc flavors start to change the Arab, you know, the, you know, as it ripens, it changes what's going on in there. So does that, if you picked it at 21, would you get a different profile than if you picked it at 23 or 25?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Well, at 21, um, you know that all fruit has, there's a certain for any particular fruit, there's sort of a sugar level where it's ripe. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing about the, uh, the variety the grape variety, uh, Vetus vinifera, is vinifera means wine, wine making. and Vitus vinifera is one of the f- very few uh, fruits w- that will get up to 23 bricks or 24 bricks. And at that, at, but if you could get it up to about 22 bricks, 22 and a half or something like that, you can make a wine with 12% alcohol. Right. Which is reasonably stable and is a very nice level of alcohol for, you know, for enjoyment. And your wine uh, is not going to go ferment on you if you keep it out of the, if you keep it, you know, airtight in the bottle. So uh, we're really, we're really lucky that this plant evolved that way. So, um, because, you know, like apple wine, no way. Plums, yeah. no way. See? Different. Know, cherries, no way. They can't get that right. The um, only you, you can do it, I want to let dehydrated. you know,
0: um, Bob, where, how he got introduced to your wine. He was in London back in the 90s and was in a pub called PJ's. And on the menu was your orange muscat. Um, and he knew wow. it was from California, he never tried it, so he ordered a glass, and it was spectacular. And once he came back into the states, he searched it out.
2: Well, that's Bob, a where great do you story. live? I love that. He lives in Jersey.
0: You know, he he oh, lives okay. not too far from where where you are. Oh, okay.
2: It, um, you know, in in uh, in the UK now, we it is a really pretty good market for our wines, and we sell a bunch of our sweet wines there. There's a wine called Elysium, actually, that outsells the Essentia. And uh, we're in you know very very nice restaurants, the Ritz Hotel, Spago. Very not, nice. Uh, where we we were in Spago in nice and, you know, uh let's see uh in in London. Oh what's that restaurant? Uh the Ritz. The Ritz. Uh there's a ho- another fancy hotel. I'll think of it in a minute, but in any case. So, so and yes. in the Netherlands, too. I want to
1: geek a bit. I want to geek, I want to geek back again. Um, so when you're processing, are you de-stemming whole cluster? Like what? I, like I'm thinking, if you're <laughs> we, saying we, uh, I'm we, going down this rabbit hole, and Debbie, you can tell me to shut up, but like I'm <laughs> no, so I, deep, I like the rabbit hole. I'm like my brain is like on overload right now. So like you're talking about bitter potential bitterness within the orange muscat. So I'm thinking you want to destem it, but I I don't know. Like this yeah, is sure. this is There's, like such an oh yeah.
2: We use a we use a crusher. they we use a destemmed crusher. So it destems okay. Okay. And uh, gets the stems out. Yeah, there's nothing but there's nothing but crummy t- stemmy taste in stems. You don't want to have stems in your wine usually. So uh, especially if they're sort of on the green side, you know, if they're dry right. and brittle, it's not so bad. But
1: okay. And when are you when are you typically harvesting? Like, is orange muscat an early ripener? Like, when yep. is it? When is so it's early? Okay.
2: Yeah, we pick it in August, late August, usually oh, well, last no week in August, early. or even early in August. Well, we're hot here in Madeira, you know, we have a, gets, yeah, it, it, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: It gets, summer comes fast and <laughs> things ripen up in a good year. Uh, we're all done with the, we're all done with the muscat at, at, by the end of August.
1: Okay. And this vintage also, 2023?
2: 23 was a late vintage.
1: That's, okay. We had
2: all that rain and it was cool and there's a huge crop. And so it took, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really pick anything in August. Everything came in like mid September. Is it
0: um, susceptible to, to disease pressure?
2: It's uh, um, orange muscat has a fairly loose cluster. So uh, you have a reasonably good fighting chance of uh, being able to control the mildew. Um, but uh, the other one, uh, Muscat Canelli or Muscato Bianco—that's the—that's the one that they have in Italy and France. <clears throat> that one has a tight cluster, and it's more—it's really hard for the growers to get a, get it really ripe. You know, it'll it'll start to—they—they got to um, they, they be careful. They don't water too much because the berries will pop, and then you get bunch oh. rot inside the bunches and stuff. The uh, another the other third one we use is the black skin muscat the muscat hamburg, and it's it has a, it's an easy one to grow it's loose bunch but we have to do a lot of fooling around with the black muscat to get that rose smell okay. we have a minimum bricks on black muscat of twenty five and okay. uh, then we have them go through the vineyard and and uh, thin the the bunches they have to they have to cane prune and then they have okay. to uh, organize the canes so that the bunches are so many inches apart on the cane <laughs> so that they get a lot of air and stuff and are and, they and
1: larger can, clusters
2: yeah they, they can be they can be really big and uh, so you don't want to you know you don't want to uh, give them too much water you don't want to give them too much fertilizer otherwise they'll they'll just be big balls of water and won't have that nice rose smell.
1: And What about the soil? Are are you are they all in the same soil type? What is the soil type there? And also
0: elevation.
2: Uh we're we're about 200 300 feet above sea level here uh, in Madeira and uh we are vineyard that we have, we have a little ten-acre vineyard of our own, and it has it has everything going from heavy clay to sand in that vineyard. And everything is a big, everything is its own little challenge, you know. The sandy stuff, the the vines are always running out of water because the water uh, sand doesn't hold any water. And then in the heavy clay, um, you got to be careful you don't overwater them because, they'll right. you know, so
1: holds
0: it yeah so what would be the ideal soil that they the orange muscat would grow in? I'd
2: say it's somewhere between sand and heavy clay <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: gonna have to mix the uh, mix mix the soils and redistribute. That's what we should have
2: done we should have had some big boulders out here before we planted and spent a lot of time mixing off the whole of soil in the vineyard so it's all the same but we yeah. it's too stupid we didn't do that Actually, one of our, I was suggested to do that by, yep. uh, by another farmer who lives down the road. And he said, you should, you got this sand here and you got this heavy clay there. And I, you said, know, why don't you just get some big boulders and mix it all up? Yeah. I thought, that'll cost money. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: that'll <laughs> that cost a lot of money. Yeah. That's right. So the, um, how old are your vines?
2: Well, okay, we, uh, the vineyard was put in in the early 80s.
1: Okay. And
2: um, um, actually, I grafted, we had Shannon Block in there, and, and I had that graft over to uh, orange muscat. But then the, the vines uh, didn't la- I mean, they, there's some root diseases and stuff, I guess. And okay. uh, we ended up having to graft the whole thing over to freedom. Uh, actually, oh. we after we started new, we started what we did is we planted little grapevines in between the these old grapevines that got really old after a while, and then they didn't produce much, and so we're, we we uh, now we got a uh, vineyard that if anything it produces too much, but in any case it's <laughs> yeah so the so it was planted then and I don't think there's too many of the vines. Left that were planted in the in the early eighties,
1: and so as it's growing, you said it. You said that it can grow a lot. So, are you green dropping? What are you? What What is your management system? What is your canopy? Does it? I mean, it's so hot there. It's so sunny. So 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 like,
2: we have. Well, okay. We there's two there's a couple of different vineyards. Our vineyard that we have is um, is spur prune. Okay. and uh, but most of all the other ones where we have we have growers that are under long term contract with us, and we have a sort of a, a farming guy that um, manages these vineyards, and we've developed over the years uh, the best practices for each of the three varieties. So the Canelli, the Muscat Canelli and the Muscat Hamburg, that's the black skinned one, are all grown up, uh, with cane pruning. Mm-hmm. And they, and with the cane pruning, you can take these long canes, see, and you can you can place them where you want them. Uh, so horizontally and vertically, right? And maybe each vine, if it's a vigorous vine, there'll be four canes. So they'll be at different elevations and it'll be in that way, and then you get the. Then, when the clusters appear, it's quite easy to go in there and pull out the extra clusters, so you get the correct number of clusters on each cane. And so that's what we do. Okay. And uh, so, the the advantage of that is uh, to not overcrop, and uh, and to allow plenty of uh, access to the bunches, so you can uh, if you want to. If you need to apply a mildew side or something sulfur, you know, control mildew, you can. It's easy to get them, uh, get everything on the on the bunches, and uh, also they the flavors better if they get some light. You don't want them covered up by thick canopy, so you could go in and remove some leaves to give them some light. So yeah. that's the way we have we have our, our main growers do it. Me, uh, our little vineyard is still stuck on this spurt pruning, <laughs> and, and so, so we just An- have to live with it.
0: Andrew, how do you see the role of orange muscat evolving in a broader um, context within the wine industry?
2: Well, uh, you know what? There's, I think sometimes maybe some of it is getting mixed into, in small quantities into Chardonnay, for example make uh, really? yeah oh. to add a little a little interesting yeah. floral character uh that's Ooh. what I see
1: Time Time place, take the place of Viognier.
2: also I could, that's I, could interesting. Uh, I could tell you this um we also make a four and a half percent alcohol uh sweet wine out of orange muscat oh, yeah it's and called Electra that? it's called Electra and it's uh Well, we just arrest the fermentation, see, and we sterile filter it. And um, then you get a four and a half percent alcohol wine with, I don't know, 14, 15 percent sugar. And so it's a whole different experience. But, you know, that the Italians with Moscato, that's what they do in Asti, right? That's all this Moscato to Asti wine is five percent alcohol. And the way they do that is exactly how we make our Electra.
0: So how much sugar is in uh, in the Essentia?
2: It's about 15, I think.
0: Okay. So 15 alcohol and 15 residual sugar?
2: Yep. It's balanced.
0: I can't wait to try it. And it's... then add the dessert on top of that, and you're really on a sugar high.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That's um, right. Yeah, A
0: little cream brulee, a little cheesecake, a little wine. Yeah. So,
1: Andrew, I want to thank you for coming on. We always try to keep people to like an hour so that we don't, you know, we know your time is valuable. But um, how can people find Quadi Winery? Uh, Bob apparently knows. So (laughs) but besides Bob, how can people find you? And I've already invited Bob to come visit me in Fresno so that I can uh, we can come and visit you. So, first of all, are you on the Madeira Trail?
2: Uh, yes, we are. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But you can you can very easily find us. Just go to our website. I think our, our our tasting room is open. What is our Wednesday through Saturday. Wednesday through Saturday. And so, uh, yeah.
1: And so. if they aren't, if we aren't in the Central Valley, uh, you ship. I'm guessing since Bob oh, is yeah. in New Jersey, yeah, so can,
0: can well, he also is here. in New York uh, too. So
2: Quattie, is our is our name for our winery, and we're uh, you can go go to the, the QuadiWinery dot com, and you can order that way too. You can also find uh, where Essencia is. I I I think they should be in most of the total wine and spirit stores.
1: Okay. Okay. So what is your production?
2: Uh, we're about, about it's yeah, hundred and fifty thousand cases, something like that. Oh,
1: okay, okay, okay. So, um, yeah. So when I get a free time, maybe on Wednesday because that's the day I'm not open, I'm going to have to come up and uh, try to visit you in person and That'd be go great. through your lineup. Yeah, because I think you're only like twenty minutes from me.
2: Are you in Fresno then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in yeah. Fresno,
1: close to Clo. I'm I'm northwest, like by Clovis. hmm So, yep, not far about from you.
2: Twenty, about a half hour, twenty-five minutes or something. Yeah. All
1: right. I will reach out for a Wednesday.
2: Perfect. Thank so you so you, much. what for kind of grapes do you, what? Are you going in Syrah? Did you say in Peso? No.
1: Oh no 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 uh, we are we are cab franc people oh, so cab franc. we do we do cab franc chenin blanc our rosé is uh, grenache tempranillo um, but we are cab franc mm-hmm. that is what we do um, yeah but uh, yeah no, so i, love I cab will reach out yay i will bring a bottle when i come to visit um and we are typically closed on wednesday so i can come visit you on on a wednesday Um, but, uh, I want to just make sure we didn't miss anything, uh, that you want us to know about, um, Quadi Winery. I just, you know, we talked about Orange Muscat, but I want to know if we missed anything about Quadi so people can find you.
2: Well, oh, you know what? Besides these Muscat wines, the one other thing that we do, we have a lot of fun with is, uh, vermouth. And we make a craft vermouth called via vermouth i'll bring the uh, vodka
0: we'll have martinis <laughs> yeah.
2: mm-hmm. we make a little bit of sherry actually
0: okay
2: um <clears throat> there's a gal in fresno that we've been buying her biodynamically grown um palomino fino grapes which we make into a uh, Montiato style of uh, sherry. is
1: palomino fino in pat in fresno
2: yeah Mm-hmm. This is a. This is we're going to talk
1: offline here. We're going to talk <laughs> offline. Uh, we have one last question. Yep. Um, Bob would like to know um, what is the production ratio approximately of your 750 versus 350.
2: 375. Uh, oh, actually,
1: 375. Yeah, sorry.
2: <laughs> I think we're probably close to even on those uh, in the in the Ascensias. Uh, and, we, and actually, you know what? We don't sell. We we make about a thousand, or twelve hundred, maybe up up to two thousand sometimes of each size, uh, measured in nine liter cases. So, our our customers in in England, in uh, in the British Isles, and in Ireland, they buy almost all the half bottles.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> they don't want
2: to buy any seven fifties. And then in, in the Netherlands, they buy almost all 750s, no half bottles. Can you believe it? And in America, it's mostly 750s. Okay. So, <laughs> funny thing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well,
0: thank you so much for sharing all this uh, Orange Muscat wisdom and history and everything with us. I've been... Really, I mean, it's my first time with the grape and it's, I, I've learned so much and I really like it. It's really it's really nice. And you, I cannot ladies.
1: wait. It is sitting in Fresno for me to try. So I cannot wait to give it a try. But I definitely will uh, reach out. Uh, Chloe, uh, if you're still there, um, I will send an email and find a date that we can <laughs> that we can, um get up there and I will come. I would love to see the facility and do a little bit more research into the orange muscat.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, um, we got a big vineyard of it right next to the house and uh, on the other side of the house is is our winery. So we're surrounded by vines and and wines. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank Thank you you so much for sharing all of your orange muscat uh, passion wisdom and uh thank you so much slancha
2: yeah cheers thank you thank you for making me part of the letter o
0: today
1: this has been another episode of exploring the wine glass thanks for listening if you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoitbutt. Of course, you can always email me at exploring the at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploring the If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Keevins. Until next week, Slancha. No no
2: no oh, no 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 Never let you go. Oh, oh. no, No 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 I want a nice
0: glass right now.